Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast. Making complex programming simple and fast. With everything from career advice to philosophy. John Summers will show you everything you need. It's the Simple Hey, what's up? John Sonimus here. Just want to take a moment to tell you about an awesome sponsor we have at Simple Programmer, which is Hire.com. I'm sure you know how frustrating it can be to search for a new job. Pushy recruiters trying to recruit you for jobs you have no interest in, jobs you apply for but you never hear from again, and worst of all, going through a whole interview process only to get a ridiculously lowball offer. Well, Hired.com has solved these problems. Hired flips job searching on its head. It actually puts you in control of the job search by letting you fill out one simple application and then having employers actually apply to hire you. How cool is that? You also get access to your own career coach to help you get your next job. Hired has access to over 4,000 employers with big names like Facebook. Plus, your profile is automatically hidden from current and past employers. Oh, and they pay you to get a job. Anyway, as a Simple Programmer listener, if you use the link Hired.com slash Simple Programmer, you can get double the normal $1,000 hiring bonus and get $2,000 when you find your next job on Hired. Just go to Hired.com slash Simple Programmer to get started. Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast, a short mix of career advice, philosophy, and soft skills from successful author and software developer, John Sonmez. Hey, what's up? John Sonmez from simpleprogrammer.com, and I am here again with another interview. I know that a lot of you have really been digging the the interviews that I've been doing here, and I have a, another extremely high-profile person here uh, that I'm, I'm really excited to, to interview. Uh, his name is Perry Marshall, and Perry, if you don't know him, he is a one of the he's, – he's a pretty famous copywriter and, and – internet marketer but he but aside from that uh, if you if you haven't seen already I did this this video where I reviewed his book called evolution 2.0 uh, and and that's 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 what we're gonna really talk about today is is that book and really the ideas and just 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 some of the the thinking right that using your brain you know actually not just believing what other, what other people tell you and actually discovering things for yourself so anyway uh, I, I without uh, further ado I just want to welcome you Perry and, and thanks thanks for doing this well John thanks for having me on your show and uh, I appreciate all of the coders and programmers out there that you guys all make the 21st century possible and I've hired quite a few coders and programmers myself and uh you know what you guys do is indispensable and i think you're also going to find that y'all know a lot more about evolution than you probably think that you do uh you just never really thought to move that thinking over to other departments like biology so we're gonna have a lot of fun today talking about that yeah 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 just to give you some background perry on what uh you know i did this video this this first video on like someone asked me a question like are you a creationist or an evolutionist and and my video was, response was sort of like well you know i used to i've i've been on both sides of the equation i've you know they, there's decent arguments on both sides of the equation and i'm not 100% sure i don't need to know necessarily the 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 answer and people lost their they lost their minds they were like Oh, how could you call yourself an engineer or be a programmer without without believing like this is you know 
the, the this fundamental views of evolution that that have been taught by Dar Darwinian evolution, and uh, and I was thinking, man, I'm, I'm trying to tell people to use their brains. <laughs> yeah. But um, and, and so so I was really really excited when I read your book, Josh Earl, a mutual friend and and and. Uh, business partner here at simple programmer he he recommended he said you got to read you got to read perry's book you got to read it it's it's really good it, it approaches it from a totally different perspective it's something that you're gonna agree with and i read it and or actually listen to the audio version and i was i was blown away i was like wow this is this is what i would i would just want people to like think about things this way well you know this is one of the most contentious topics okay I mean, it is right up there with things like gun control, gay rights, abortion, like yeah. literally it's that primal people respond that emotionally. And it's actually, it's pretty hard to get people to relax and actually just think about it. Um, and that's what I had to do when I got sucked into this topic about a dozen years ago was, okay, hang on a second set your prejudices aside, uh, set your preconceived notions aside, understand that the world may not work the way that you think that it does, but you just, you follow the evidence, follow the evidence, follow the evidence. And, and you have to be, you have to have a high standard of, of what counts for evidence. Okay. Right. And now what, what you'll find is that most people default to whatever they consider to be an authority. So if you grew up in a fundamentalist church and your authority is a certain preacher, you're going to probably default to that. Um, if you had a certain educational background and certain kinds of scientists tell you no, it's like this, um, then you'll probably default to that. And I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a few rules for my search. I am not going to ignore any verifiable fact. Right. If I can verify, if I can like lay my hands on it or show that, oh yeah, like a dozen people have done this experiment over and over and it produced this kind of result, I will, I will not go in denial. In fact, I'm willing to put a whole bunch of things on my my wall of post-it notes, if if you will. I'm willing to put a whole bunch of things, as long as they're verifiable fact, I'll put them up on the board, even if I can't figure out how they fit together today, right? right? Maybe I'll figure it out next week. Maybe I'll see how the puzzle uh, fits together next year. But, it, but if it's a verifiable fact, I'm not, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to deny it. And so, so that's what I did. And um, it got so fascinating. But first, I had to slice through a lot of dogma, a lot of indignation, like righteous indignation. Right. It came from both sides. How dare you? How dare you defy these authorities? You know, and and I started seeing that not not everybody, but the certain strand of scientists was really being treated like high priests rather than you know. And and if now I I got to be clear about something. I am an electrical engineer, and I understand certain things, certain parts of science, very, very, very well. 
Okay. And there's a certain, there is a certain confidence that you gain when you experimentally, because you build things for a living, because you design things for a living, because you have a hard ass job with rigorous requirements. When you design something and if, and if it has flaw product flaws, those warranty returns are going to come and bite you in the ass. You, You get this, you get this really keen appreciation for reality, right? Um, you know, and I, I used to sit in meetings and argue for hours about theoretical models of this and that and, and, and all this kind of stuff. I remember when I, when I was an engineer at Jensen, I, I was an acoustical engineer. I designed the speakers of the 94 Ford Probe, the 95 Acura Vigor, the 95, uh, the 96 Honda Civic, the 96 uh, Dodge Stratus. And, and, and companies would send people to give us presentations. And we would call them lunch and learns and somebody would buy pizza and we'd all sit, sit in there. And, and before the guy showed up, everybody would always ask, all right, so is this an engineer? Or this is a marketing guy. <laughs> and, and if it was a marketing guy, we knew that we couldn't like be totally rude and rip him to shreds because he, we, we knew he, we were going to ask him a bunch of questions and he wasn't going to know the answer. And then he was going to have to go back to somebody and so we would just have to go play softball. But what people really wanted when we had those lunches was somebody we could play hardball with. We could ask him really hard questions and push him to the wall. And so, um, so by in my profession today, I, I'm a marketer. And what I really am is I'm in the business of scientific advertising. Right. Which uh, that, that's the title of a book written in 1918, which laid the foundations for direct response marketing, which is a highly scientific approach to marketing. And if you don't believe me, just pick up a book on Google Analytics or Google AdWords and see if that's that's the case. But uh, we're not actually having a marketing conversation today. We're having an engineering conversation. We're talking about evolution as an engineered process. And we're talking about what can you actually find out, figure out, see, know, and discover about evolution when you put on your engineering hat. And like I said at the beginning of this conversation, John, if you're a programmer, if you're an engineer, if you build things for a living, you know a whole lot more about evolution than you even think you do. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's important to frame the, the, you know, the discussion too, because I think a lot of people, they, they get this knee jerk reaction. I mean, some people are, are, are watching this now and they're like, they're just ready. They're already ready to attack and jump. Yeah. And it's because, and it's like, you know, we're, we're not going to, you know, and, and I think it's, it's important just to like to let, let the cat out of the bag a little bit. What, what you've proposed in the book is not saying that evolution doesn't have, it's not a creationist view of the, of the, of the world, a literal seven day creation view of the world it's it is it is looking at like you said evidence and saying what evidence do we actually have from the and i like it like you that you gave that background from an engineering perspective as opposed to a this is what i've heard Mm -hmm. (laughs) perspective which is not verifiable facts so what what is i guess you know i guess the core of the, the 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 whole thing is what what is different about your approach and what you say and what you found about evolution that makes it evolution 2.0 versus the traditional Darwinian evolution viewpoint. Well, 
when um, when Bill Gates started Microsoft, he was a total outsider in the computer industry. And when Fred Smith started Federal Express, he was a total outsider in the shipping industry. And when Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he was a total uh, outsider in the book industry. And uh, and there, I mean, there's a long, long list of stories like this. We, you know, Larry and Sergey, who started Google, they were total outsiders in the search engine industry. In fact, they started with a PhD thesis about uh, how to rank scientific papers, and it turned into, so far, the world's best algorithm for for internet search results. And so, and so, innovations almost always come from outsiders. Uh, Ray Kroc, when he started McDonald's, he was an outsider to the restaurant business. He was a milkshake salesman. And so I actually come as an outsider, but I come with a very rigorous scientific background. So the story starts in 2004. I'm visiting my brother, who at the time was actually a missionary in China, who had gone in four years, he had gone from seminary grad, I'm, you know, I'm going to go save the world to, I'm not, I'm not sure I believe any of this anymore. In fact, I'm sure that I don't believe most of it. And I'm not sure if I believe any of it. Um, we had already been having this argument for a couple of years. So there was already a long history. And, and as I was sliding to the edge I found myself grabbing onto the one thing that I knew that I knew, which was science. Right. Um, and 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 again, um, when when you've when you've we, when you've been through five years of engineering school and then you've worked in the profession for a number of years, you know that you know that you know certain things. And I, I said to Brian, I said, Brian, look look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said, this is a really nice piece of engineering. Uh, and nobody ever disagrees with that, right? No, <laughs> nobody. Um, and and I said, you don't think this is a result of a accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he goes, hold on, <laughs> hold on. And then he starts with a standard neo-Darwinism formula. Now, I listened to him and I said, okay. I don't really buy what he's saying. That does not make sense to me because I've never seen anything designed like that. I've never seen any product get developed that way. But I know that most biologists would agree with him and not me. And I know biologists are not stupid. And I know they know a lot of things that probably defy common sense. There's a lot of things in electrical engineering that defy common sense. And you know what I immediately thought of? I th I'm sure some people uh, listening will know what I'm talking about. In, in math, there's this thing called imaginary numbers, and you have the square root of negative one. Well, guess what? In, um, in signal processing, those, those square roots of negative one are, and those imaginary numbers are extremely useful. Yeah. And, and I'll just tell you, like, they are, um, I, I'm an audio engineer. It, it, they're used in audio all the time. I would have never, ever figured out by myself how to use that. In fact, there's a bunch of things in audio I would have never figured out without just going to school and learning them. Totally counterintuitive. So if somebody said to me, uh, but actually, Perry, 
random mutation and natural selection can produce evolution. You just don't happen to think so because you don't know certain things. I was totally willing to believe that. I'm like, hey, I'm not a biologist. They might know something I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Either there's something the engineers know that the biologists don't know, or there's something the biologists know that the engineers don't know. Whatever it is, it's got to be pretty interesting. I'm going down the rabbit hole, and I'm going to find out. And you know what? If this makes me an atheist, if this makes me a Buddhist, if whatever, okay, I don't know where this is going, but I'm going to follow it um, because I know that in science, you you can stick things in a lab and you can do certain things. And if you can create an experimental result, then you probably, you know something you didn't know, know before. So I went down the rabbit hole and, and, uh, and I just decided I'm, I'm going to chase this thing wherever. So, so I go down the rabbit hole. So I obsessively, and I'm sure you can relate to this because, you know, in, like anybody that does podcasts, you, you know, you, your brain is like an octopus and it goes in all these directions and, you know, you, you, you got all these books and all these things you're into, you know, so I start buying books. I mean, like, I'm sure Amazon stock must've gone up, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and I, I'm, I'm buying books and I'm going to websites and like, I'm reading everything. Like there isn't anything that's off limits. Um, and, and I just floundered around for quite a while, honestly. Um, and, and it was like, for a long time, I felt like, well, do I believe these guys or do I believe those guys? They both actually make a certain amount of sense at certain points along the way. Uh, but like, how do I decide when, when they disagree with each other? It's like, I have to get a deep, I have to get deeper than this. I have to actually have to get to something that I can personally verify. And, and finally one day it was like, bam, it was this giant epiphany. It was like a thousand connections in 10 seconds uh, inside my brain. I was, I was trying to understand DNA, genetic code, mutations. How does this work? How do mutations make evolution? And I suddenly have this, it's like this flash of recognition. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. This is a code. This is digital code code c-o-d-e like your audience john are coders right they exactly. write code for a living hey wait a minute okay so i wrote a book called industrial ethernet in 2002 uh, and i wrote it for the world's largest professional society of process control engineers it's called the isa um, they have a magazine, they have conferences, they have a professional association, all this kind of stuff. And I wrote an Ethernet book for them because for years I specialized in digital communications. I sold digital networks that go in factories where the downtime is $15,000 a minute. And like if something goes wrong, people are really, really upset. And I was in the job of helping people design these systems and use networks instead of point-to-point -point wiring. And like the whole world was getting wired. The whole world was hooking up to networks. And so I wrote this Ethernet book. And like, hey, wait a minute. Almost everything in genetics has a parallel in Ethernet. Right. Okay. There's start bits. There's stop bits. There's packets. There's... Uh, encoding tables, there's decoding tables, there's error correction, there's redundancy, 
there are checksums. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now, like this connection, like it took about 10 seconds for all of a sudden the light bulb to go on. And then I literally spent the next 10 years tracking down. Okay. So how, how many of these things are like one thing is exactly like the other and how many of them? No, it's not really like the other. Well, uh, they're kind of like about 50% the same, especially at the most basic level that DNA is a digital storage mechanism. It has about the same amount of storage in a human body. Human DNA has about the same amount of storage as a CD-ROM. It's about 750 megabytes of data. Okay. And all of a sudden, it's like, I, I can figure this out. Evolution can be studied as a software engineering problem. And if somebody says that one organism is like this, and eventually it could be like this. We can sequence the DNA. We can see what happened. We can figure it out. And, right. and this, it's all digital code. So like I said, if, if you write code for a living, you actually understand genetics a whole lot better than you think you do. In fact, you might understand genetics better than a lot of biologists do. And there's a whole field called bioinformatics, which yeah. is about the overlap between computer science uh, and genetics. And it's a huge field and it's a growing field. And there's lots of people going into it. It's very hot. Um, genomics is a very hot field. Um, big data, which overlaps with marketing hugely, is also, right. also a huge thing in, in genomics. And, and so, like, guess what? If you have an engineering background, if you have a computer science background, what you really have is you have a liberal arts education for the technological side of the 21st century. And you can use those tools in all kinds of places. And all of a sudden, evolution started to make sense. And I started finding a bunch of things that a whole bunch of people don't want to talk about, okay? The creationists don't want to talk about it. And people like Richard Dawkins and Jerry Coyne and the hardcore atheists, they don't want to talk about it either because the truth is actually somewhere in the middle. It's not out at these extremes. It's not Bill Nye, the science right. guy. It's not Ken Ham. These guys are not giving you good science. I can prove to you that they're not giving good science. I can prove to you that they're feeding you an agenda that right. supports their philosophy and their conclusions. It's not science. It's not true. The, the kindest thing you can say about Bill Nye is everything he says is 10 to 30 years out of date. And that's the nicest thing you can say about, uh, about it. Um, and, and it actually, you know, in Ken Ham, you know, the younger creationists, they're in many ways just as bad. They're, they're not as bad or worse depending on, your point of view. I'm, I'm not really not sure uh, how to come down on that, but I, I'm telling you, there's a whole story that most people have never heard. And it is fascinating. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it makes sense also, like, since you're talking about the motives and, and whatnot, like, you know, and I think, I think both of us could probably be in the same boat here is 
what is our motive? I mean, what you just defined where you're kind of standing in and where I feel like I'm standing too is in a place where everybody hates you. <laughs> and so that's not like, unless you have like, there's, there's really not a monetary, I mean, you know, books make money, but not a lot of money, right? You know, I'm, I'm an author. You, <laughs> you're an author. You, we both know this, right? Some people think that people make a lot of money, but it's really like, you know, the, the, I can, I speak for myself. My motive is, it's getting people to think and, and finding the truth. And, uh, and you know, that's, you know, being on the side of picking a stance where everybody is, is likely to hate you and passionately is not a stance that you just pick unless, you know, just, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's, that's worth pointing out. Well, you know, John, um, the truth is, is really the 5% atheist zealots hate me and the 5% creationist zealots hate me. But right. if, you're, if, if you live your life in the middle and you're, you were never really quite sure that either one of those sides was really giving you the whole story, which a lot of people kind of at a gut level, they feel that way. They can't really articulate it. They don't know enough to defend it, but they just have a feeling like, uh, there's something a little off about this whole conversation. You'll love this. You will absolutely love it. If, if you're a programmer, if, if you're a programmer, you're like, huh, you know, they're saying that accidental copying errors of DNA multiplied millions of times eventually create evolution. You know, I've never seen that work in software. I've never seen that work in photocopies. I've never seen that work on USB sticks or websites or anywhere else. I mean, we have, we have who knows how many gajillions of petabytes of data going back and forth across the internet and it gets miscopied all the time. Nobody's ever seeing better software like come dripping out of some uh, orifice somewhere. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting. Like if, if random copying errors and natural selection was all you needed for evolution, then why does Bill Gates even need employees? Why doesn't he just get about, a hundred thousand computer servers and just run corrupted versions of all his software all day long until occasionally a, a better and better version comes out. Right. Because right. that's essentially what Richard Dawkins and, and, and Bill Nye and Jerry Coyne would have you to believe that, that all you need is billiard balls banging around in the universe and survival of the fittest and presto everything gets better and better and better and better. And, and, and this is in textbooks. It's all over the place. But what I, I definitively figured out, it's not true. In fact, there's no evidence anywhere that anything evolves that way. Now, hear me out. I am not saying evolution doesn't happen. And that was the surprising part. So I got a certain distance into this and it was like, well, there's no way evolution happens by accident. Like it would, it would have like random copying errors only destroy information. Copying errors are noise. Noise always destroys. Noise is always your enemy. I was in networking. I know this right. networking, data storage, anything like that. If, if you corrupt a signal, it's garbage. And okay. It, it yeah. Oh, I was going to say, it's worth pointing out to the programmers who will understand this, which I, I thought was really good, uh, is, is the layers, right? Because those, oh, that, that, uh, that the protocol. Oh, yeah. Right. Because yeah, and that's, I mean, every programmer knows that, <laughs> that if you take, if you take some code and you change the bits, 
it's it 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 totally corrupts it. it it's not even like it, it has to be changed at the pr appropriate layer of the protocol right. otherwise it, it's meaningless right right so so you can write a piece of code and you can change it in the editor but after you compile it like it's baked like you can't you can't take compiled code and then like insert some copying errors and fix a problem like it's impossible it'll never happen and that that's that's the problem with the the richard dawkins version of evolution is he's saying you can do that and you can't it's in fact it violates something in communication called information entropy but but see here's here's where it got interesting what what got interesting was I found out evolution is actually true anyway, and you can do evolutionary experiments in the lab, and you can create changes. Um, a, a protozoan under stress can splice its DNA into a hundred thousand pieces, rearrange the pieces, and reconfigure its whole biochemistry in response to a stressful situation like, like nothing to eat or it's in the pre uh, presence of some kind of predators or chemicals or something like that absolutely amazing there are certain things that you can do that in anywhere from tw 24 hours to 24 months will generate a brand new species that never existed before and you can do this and it's all it's all because of those layers so the genetic codes just like ethernet or any software stack it's got layers too. This is why we have different things, chromosomes, genes, lines, signs, uh, codons, start bits, stop bits. Um, and, and so it's, it's highly structured and cells know how to modify the code. And this is the really amazing thing. And this goes back to 1944, a woman named Barbara McClintock uh, was doing these experiments with corn. And uh, at the time, it was very popular that people would take radiation. They would damage DNA with radiation, and they would do experiments to see what would happen with plants. Well, she, now, most of those radiation experiments were never created what all those people thought they would. They thought they could create mutations and create evolution, but they were actually operating on the wrong theory of evolution. They were operating on the same theory of evolution that most people still hear today, and it doesn't work. And most of those experiments didn't work. Barbara did something a little different. Um, she, she approached it like a hacker, and she, you could say she threw the plant a curveball. She was working with corn plants. And the plant threw a curveball right back. And what the plant did was she damaged one of its chromosomes so it couldn't reproduce. And the plant repaired the chromosome by taking genetic material from another part, um, making something brand new, and then suddenly being able to reproduce again. And she figured out what happened. And it was like, oh my goodness, these plants are smart. They're actually modifying their own genetics. And she right. went to a symposium at Cold Spring Harbor in New York, and she presented it to a bunch of her colleagues, and half of them laughed at her, and the other half were just mad. They're like, who does this woman think she is? Like, doesn't she know 
these these genes are just beads on a string and these plants aren't modifying their own chromosomes. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, they just kind of totally rejected this. Um, well, 30 years later, she won the Nobel Prize. Wow. Okay. And, and no one hears about this. No. And, and, and that's what the, I think the, the example to, to that, it's, it's the higher layer, right? Because cause I think what you said at first was like the random radiation, it didn't work because it was destroying mm. things at the nucleic acid layer right the, the yes. gatc yes. layer and that that's like that's like messing with the binary of a file and mm -hmm. and where, what she did was she took it up one layer higher in the protocol to the chromosome level where it actually made when you made changes it made sense because it wasn't corrupting the the data and then the the plant responded at that level at the cr chromosome level if I understand correctly. Well, what what she actually got the plant to do was reveal the layers. Mm. Okay. okay, so she just had a bunch of code and it's sitting there. And, and this, by the way, this is before Watson and Crick figured out DNA. Um, and so they, they knew what chromosomes were and they could look at them and they could see them. And they could do certain experiments and find certain things about them, but it was mostly a big mystery box. What 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 happened when she started doing this is the plant the plant is taking this section of code and moving it over to here, and this section of code and moving it over to here. They're called transposons, and um, and this whole phenomenon is called transposition. And and she started to break the whole thing down. She's like, okay. This section does this. This section does this. These things here, we call them jumping genes because they move all over the place. And we don't know how, why, or when, but I know that these jumping genes were actually used to repair this chromosome and make the thing able to reproduce when otherwise a plant was going to die. Um, and it did it in real time. Like, she didn't have to do this with a million plants and wait a million years. It happened in real time, Okay. This is evolution in real time, which is how evolution actually occurs. Um, and, and, so, and so this was really extraordinary. And so what happened was she was ignored for about 20 years, but then all these other researchers started running into this too. James right. Shapiro figured out in 1968 the bacteria can do this. Um, and he's a professor right here at the University of Chicago. He's a very respected guy in the genetics field. And he's he's uh, written a bunch of really important papers. And, and so this completely changes the entire uh, texture of evolutionary theory. Okay. This is not, this doesn't happen by accident. This is does not happen by copying errors and it doesn't just happen by certain things die and certain things survive and then the survive. I mean, it's so much richer than that. And, and when you really get into it, what you start to realize is what plants do, what animals do, what cells do. It's really very similar to what software programmers do. It's yeah. very similar to what musicians do. It's, it's similar to what artists and poets do, which is, uh, they have a collection, they have a tool belt, they have a set of tools and like, Hey, Hey, John, um, Oh, play that riff for me again. And you're like, you know, you're like, yeah, no, play it this other way. What, why don't you play it in D flat instead of C sharp? And you're like, okay. You know, and 
right. like okay let's insert that into the mixtape yeah right and this is what's really going on genetically and so it's way more interesting than anything bill nye is talking about it's way more interesting than anything ken ham or the the creationists are talking about um because this is something that i think software engineers could learn a lot yeah by studying like a lot a lot like i think there's like there's a there's a hundred nobel prizes hiding in this I think there are centuries of discoveries that we're barely, barely scratching the surface of. And I think it's interesting too, like that, what you're describing too, like I think on both sides of the equation, because I had studied creation science, like this literal seven day, and then I had studied evolution. And on both sides, kind of the black sheep that the note that everyone kind of, I don't want to say that, that that kind of throws both off is is Gould when he says the, the punctuated equilibrium. And this explains right. it. Now it's like, because as a, when I was thinking with my evolution hat on, my Darwinian evolution, I was like, oh, that's that punctuated equilibrium thing. Like, that's a really poor explanation. Like, if that's how evolution, like, if that's how we explain away things. That's, that's, there's some holes there. And then from the creation. Why, why don't you explain that, what that term means? Because I don't think most people know that term. Okay, so so one of the things like with the fossil record was that, and correct me if, I'm, if I've got this wrong, but my understanding of it, is that they found these problems they said okay well it, it looks like there's this pre-cambrian explosion right there's like all these these points in the evolutionary tree where it's like all life suddenly explodes like evolution happened really rapidly like from the fossil record so you know it doesn't make sense so so uh so gould came up with this idea he said well there's this thing called you know it's um punctuated equilibrium which basically like at certain certain times evolution increases it, it happens at a more rapid clip and right. and and the evolutionists of course kind of don't you know it's it doesn't really fit in with the darwinian model because there's no explanation and the, the creationists they jump all over it they don't they don't really like that idea either because they're like oh this is ridiculous <laughs> like this this right. must prove seven day creation because how could you believe this ridiculous thing and so right. but but now what you're saying like is uh, now it's like oh okay that that actually makes under environmental pressures if evolution is not just this this uh, random mutation like survival of the fittest if that's not the the process but it's actual environmental pressures actually influence it now it makes sense now the fossil record fits in with that model and we don't have to come up with some ridiculous explanation well right and all of us ex- have experienced punctuated equilibrium all of our life so for years and years there's vinyl okay Mm -hmm. and then somebody comes out with cassette tapes right and then all of a sudden you have that right and then somebody comes out with cds and you have that and so it's like you have vinyl and you have tapes and you have cds and then and then it'll stay the, the technology will stay the same for a long time and it'll have these little incremental improvements okay so the cassette tapes get a little better a little better a little better but there's nothing magical like it's just these slow improvements right and then all of a sudden you have cds and then all of a sudden you have mp3 players and stuff right and so we we see this with technology all the time now now what's actually going on is there's experiments going on constantly well let's come up with something better than this let's come up with something better than this but nine times out of ten they never really get anywhere. Oh, you know, SACD comes out and the world doesn't really accept that, you know, or mini disc comes out and the world doesn't really accept that. Right. 
um, or certain programming languages come along and they fall by the wayside. They be like Fortran, like nobody uses Fortran anymore, uh -oh, right? You're gonna get comments on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody does, but right, nobody I know. How about Dart? Um, Google Dart. I think we can <laughs> put that one on the chop. Right. All right. Right. And and so and so and so organisms are just they're just like people. They're trying stuff. Okay. Yeah. And so when you're taking antibiotics, the bacteria are trying stuff. Not only are they trying stuff, they're going and they're stealing DNA from other cells. They're like, hey, hey, do you got anything interesting? I need a pump. Anybody around here got a pump? Oh, you got a pump? Okay, here. So send me a copy. Like all these cells, they have a Dropbox folder. Right. It's called a plasmid. Okay. And like they don't have one. Like the plasmid, plasmid. They hook up. Uh, here, I'll send you some genetic material. It's it's an open source file sharing folder is what it is. Send you some material, and that bacteria goes, ah, hey, there's a pump. I can use this. Inserts it into its genome, reads the code, builds a pump, pumps the poison out, updates its Dropbox folder, starts sharing code with all of the other bacteria friends, um, and then it starts dividing off bacteria that all have pumps and Dropbox folders. Okay. And so, and guess what? All of a sudden your antibiotic doesn't work anymore and you're in serious, serious trouble. Right. And, see, and this, yeah. this is what happens if you don't finish your antibiotic. Right. And I was just going to say, uh, I think some people are going to say, well, that doesn't make sense because you can't just take the pieces of the genetic code. And what you're talking about is doing it at the at the at that protocol again, that layer where it's like there's a start, a start sequence and end sequence here. You're not yes. taking we're taking modules and we're dropping yes. modules. We're recombining modules. We're not recombining random strings of of um, GATC and, you know, in nucleotides mm -hmm. where they actually no. have a stop bit and the start bit and this is a, a section and we're rearranging these higher level pieces not just random bits of code yes and this this is this is described in my book evolution 2.0 it's in the chapter on horizontal gene transfer in fact i have a little diagram and it's like um gen the genetics people call it a cassette and it's mm -hmm. like, okay, so here's a string of code. Here's the start sequence. Here's the end sequence. Here's all the piece in the middle. And that that bacterium, the, it's a strep germ or whatever kind of germ that it is, it's identifying that. It's going, okay, there it is. That's the one I want. Now, it's not clear how intentional this is. There's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of this that is not clear, okay? Right. But, but I can... I can tell you this, as a communication engineer, I can sure as heck promise you it's not random because random processes applied to code like this would never work. There is a whole level of mathematics going on here. There's a whole level of fractal reorganization that's going on. It is friggin' amazing. Right. Okay, and so a, a religious person should should never be afraid of this information because what it does is it makes the universe is suddenly a whole bunch more amazing than you were ever told in high school. Right. Okay. Okay. So there, there's always somebody that goes, Oh, that's no big deal. That's just, 
that just happened by accident. No, no, no. These kind of things don't happen by accident. But on the other hand, if you're a science lover and you're offended when people go, oh, God did it, so let's go out to lunch. Let's have a three martini lunch because no scientist can ever answer this. If if that kind of conversation offends you, well, I I can relate. Like a scientist's job is to figure out how things work. And what I am saying in Evolution 2.0 is there's so many more layers to discover about how this works. The scientist's job is never going to end. I mean, right. any honest scientist should love this book because this book, this book opens the door to billions of dollars of research that nobody's done yet. Okay. No, nobody who understands this should have any trouble getting a grant from any honest grant committee because there are so many things to discover. And so I, I really, as, as this whole project evolved, um, I really became, I, I started to see that this war between science and religion it was shutting down science. It was shutting down curiosity. It was giving people glib answers that don't make any sense. It was empowering people like Bill Nye and Richard Dawkins to get away with glib, ridiculously oversimplified answers that don't actually solve any problems at all. They do not further science. Um, Richard Dawkins is not a friend of the scientific process. Bill Nye is not a friend of the real scientific process. I know you think he is. I know he's on TV. Um, and, and having said that, you know, neither, neither is Ken Ham, neither is Answers in Genesis, neither is the Institute of Creation Research. They're not helping. Okay. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like, uh, okay. Have you ever heard of a situation where you didn't like like either the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate? <laughs> I, I, I no, mean, I've never heard of that. What, okay. What, it's, that? Like like, <laughs> it's like, you know what? In science, there's more than two choices. Yeah. In politics, you might end up having to vote for, you know, for one or the other and not vote at all. But but in science, there's always more options. And here, that's, got, the, that's a, the good news. I got an option for you. Let's go with the Arnold option here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And that's what really convinced me is, you know, like I said, I, I had done the research. I know a lot of people when I, when I made the first video, they're like, oh, John, you're just an idiot. Like, how can you believe anything in the creation science? But, you know, even Ken Ham's stuff, like they're at the at the surface level, they're, they're decent arguments. I think most people haven't even read that, right? And it's like, but but there's holes, there's mistakes, there's problems. And then when I read through, you know, uh, Dawkins stuff, it was the same thing. I was like, there's there's holes, there's there's stuff there. You know, like, right. you know there's, there's strong arguments on both sides and there's weak arguments on both sides, but none of them have evidence. <laughs> and, and to their <laughs> credit, the okay, Let's let me be very clear. Richard Dawkins' work has a lot of true statements and a lot of valid observations. Right. But there's a whole bunch of stuff he's not telling you. Okay. And the same thing's true on the other side. I mean, actually, um, some of the creationist literature is actually quite useful. And what I had to do. I, I had to go through all of it and say, you know what, I'm willing 
like I'm willing to like take this whole thing apart. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to disassemble an entire car engine just to find one good cylinder. Okay. Right. Exactly. All right. I, I mean, I will, I will read through a whole entire book and I might think that eight out of 10 chapters are crap, but if two of them are good and if the guy says something that it's true, then I'm going to accept it. And I don't care who he is. I don't care if I hate his guts. Okay. I don't care if I hate his politics. I don't care if I hate his religious views. If he says it's true and it can be verified, then I, I'm going to like put it on that post-it note and stick it on the wall. Like, okay, add another verifiable fact to the list. Okay. And, 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 and so it was like the Darwinists were right about a bunch of stuff but they right. had this big blind spot. The creationists were also right about a bunch of stuff and they had this big blind spot. And of course, all these guys, they're totally talking past each other, right? right? They're calling each other names. They're acting like they're six years old. They're descending into this just juvenile behavior and name calling and snarkiness and everything like that. And, you know, frankly, as soon as people descend into that, I switch off. Like they're, yeah. Their whole credibility just goes away, right? I have no patience for people that want to sit and call other people names. If that's all you can do, you obviously don't have anything to bring to this argument, and I am not interested in your opinion, right? And so I quickly, I got past the popular literature, and pretty soon I'm reading scientific papers. Yep. And there is so much stuff, you know, like, I am so glad I finished my electrical engineering degree and I became scientifically literate so that I could read scientific literature. Like if you have a science degree, you can figure this stuff out. And I waded through it. It was like, wow, like why is nobody talking about this? How come, how come Barbara McClintock isn't in every textbook? Cause she really should be. Okay. Right. Another one, Lynn Margulis, Lynn Margulis, um, actually Lynn Margulis and a bunch of Russians from a hundred years ago. Okay. Um, they figured out this thing called the theory of symbiogenesis. And this is, this is really fascinating. Okay. Um, so, so I, 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 so a business version of symbiogenesis is a Starbucks inside the lobby of a Marriott hotel. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's, Okay, Symbio, Starbucks and Marriott, like, so the Starbucks makes the Marriott more valuable. It, the Marriott makes the Starbucks more valuable. Both of them bring more people in, makes everybody happier, makes more profit. Well, the first, the, the first merger acquisition um, in, in history, or one of, the, one of the big ones in history was when a blue-green algae and what is now known as a plant cell merged. And instead of the plant cell eating the algae, the algae made a home inside of it. And that is the reason for every single green grass or leaf or plant that you've ever seen in your life. Right. Because what, what they don't tell you in high school science is that a chloroplast which everybody learned about chloroplasts. They make chlorophyll. They make things green. A chloroplast is a blue-green algae. That's what it is. So it's you're saying its, its own DNA, right? 
It's got its own DNA. It reproduces on its own cycle. It lives inside the plant cell. And they're in this exchange. It's like, okay, I'll give you a safe home and you give me this energy that you get from sunlight and carbon dioxide yeah, or oxygen. Uh, well, you know, the whole, the whole process of, of, uh, okay, so sorry, plants consume carbon dioxide, uh, right. and produce energy from sunlight. Right. So it's actually a blue green algae that does that. Okay. Um, so similarly, um, everybody's heard of mitochondria. Most people don't quite exactly know what it is. Mitochondria is a part of your cells in your body that converts oxygen to energy. Okay. It's the energy plant in your cells. Okay. Well, it's, it's the, it's the animal equivalent of a chloroplast. And it's also a symbiotic bacteria living inside your cells that has its own DNA. And the DNA is largely identical to the DNA in other free bacteria. It's a merger acquisition. It's a Starbucks inside a Marriott. And what, and the, the Russians actually started figuring this out in the late 1800s. And by the 1930s, it had become a major branch of science in Russia. But then communism and Stalin and all this kind of stuff happened and all kind of got buried. Uh, Len Margulis resurrected it in the 1960s and nobody would publish her papers. And they were like, oh, get out of here. This is crazy. She's like, no, evolution produce, evolution proceeds in leaps and bounds. It it's this punctuated equilibrium thing again. And she's, yeah. she's saying, look, lichen is algae plus fungus. Um, and and like, there's all of these different merger acquisitions in history. And all of a sudden, bam, now we have a plant cell that produces chlorophyll. Um, and, and so... She, I think, I think her paper got rejected by 15 different scientific journals before she finally got somebody uh, to accept it. And this was the old school Darwinists fighting progress. Right. And they have been fighting progress for 70 years. Okay. It, it is time for this thing to be over. Neo-Darwinism is dead. This whole idea that y'all read in textbooks that all you need is random copying errors, billiard balls banging around the universe, natural selection, and you're going to get evolution. That is total BS. Nothing works that way. If that were true, Bill Gates wouldn't need staff. He wouldn't need payroll. He'd just need a million computers and somebody to feed the garbage into the, in the <laughs> input and produce the the jewels at the output. It doesn't work that way. And so actually cells are smarter than we are. They know how to do things we don't know how to do. And it's time for us to start learning. I think it's interesting that you, that you said that about like how we, how we need to close the book on the subject or, or that, because I think a lot of the, 
the evolution, at least the response that I that I saw when when whenever you say anything against the the standard what CNN says published model of evolution or textbook model is they say, hey, look, we just need to stop. We're, we're we already got this figured out. We're already done with it. We need to stop having these arguments. Like if you don't believe in evolution and you don't believe in Darwinian uh, the Darwinian evolution, you're just a dummy. You're just stupid. You're just religious. And and like we shouldn't even have these arguments anymore. And you know, my 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 answer to that is always read on liberty, <laughs> because yeah. you need to understand why it's important. We have why we don't just label things and say we're done with it. You always need to reexamine it and have an argument. But but it's amazing that that like you know what what you're saying make makes sense. It's like we got to stop. We got to stop doing that. We need to reexamine these things. We can't just take these things for granted and just say we're done especially when we don't know unless you can produce the actual mechanism of of exactly how something happens you're not done you always have to re-examine the model always have to revamp the model always have to question those assumptions and so many people like i feel like in society today not just in science but even in politics in all kinds of areas they've shut their mind and they're just saying Nope, we've already got it figured out, and 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 I'm gonna have this snarky attitude if you disagree with me because hey, Neil 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 uh, Neil the Tyson to, or Bill Nye says this or you know and right. and who who are you to question Bill Nye? I mean, oh right, well, and so so here's the smoking gun. Okay, so so if if you are a evolution doubter, I understand because I was very skeptical too. It's like this doesn't make any sense, so read my book evolution 2.0 if you're an evolution doubter right this will this won't it, it won't only change your mind it will I, it really probably will change your mind about evolution but it'll actually change how you feel about evolution because it ceases to be this stick that atheists beat religious people over the head with okay in fact, in fact, it kind of gets turned around and it becomes a stick. Like if you want to beat atheists over the head, um, evolution becomes your new club. Um, now, if, if, you're, if you're a Darwinist or if, if you're like a Richard Dawkins fan or something like that, and you're like, I don't know, I think this sounds like a bunch of BS. I don't, I don't believe this. Here's what I want you to do. There, I've got a blog post called Memo to Richard Dawkins, Bill Nye, Jerry Coyne, and PZ Myers. Recesses over. Just go to cosmicfingerprints.com and search recesses over. And what I do in that blog, in a very, you know, I don't know, a thousand words, I show you that those guys' books are 10 to 30 years out of date. And I show you exactly how you can find out, you can prove to yourself. All you got to do is take a list of words, transposition, symbiogenesis, horizontal gene transfer, epigenetics, uh, hybridization, which are, those are what I call the, the Swiss army knife blades of evolution. Those are the basic tool belts of the evolutionary process. Go search their books and see if you even find them talking about this stuff at all. Because for the most part, you don't. They, they say virtually nothing. Then go to Google Scholar and type those things in and see that for the last 10, 15, 20 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of papers, for any biologist, any biologist that's listening to this 
and is up to date on the research will know that I am telling the truth. Okay. Now, in fact, next week I'm going to London. And the reason I'm going to London is that the Royal Society is holding a meeting called New Perspectives on Evolutionary Theory. Now, I don't, I can't tell you like what's the conclusion or the outcome of this meeting going to go on. I, I, I couldn't predict that before actually going, but I can tell you this. Evolutionary theory is in a massive, massive change state right now. And there's, there is a whole set of models. Um, extended evolutionary synthesis is sometimes called, sometimes called the postmodern synthesis, sometimes called third way. Um, there's another, there's a whole branch called systems biology. And all of these different versions are basically saying the old Darwinian model doesn't work. It doesn't explain all of these things. It's beleaguered with problems. We need other models. We need other explanations. And there's lots of scientists that are working on them. The only problem is, is the news has not reached the general public. This right. is not going to be a surprise to anybody in five years, but it's new now. And I want people to know because, because if we could take those crazy 5% zealots from the extreme left and the extreme right out of the conversation and replace it with real science, real observations, real experiments, real Nobel prizes, real genomics, real big data, real results, real medicine, then the whole thing changes. And it's very exciting. And, and as, as, you, as you read my book, as you read about the stuff, you're going to find that whatever you do for a living, it's going to start sparking ideas. You're going to be like, hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. This could work other places. I can use this. Right. And that's a, that's a great, you know, that's a great way to kind of suss out truths, I think, because principles are universal and they always yes. apply across every discipline all in, in, you know, when you think about the, the principles yes. of sowing and reaping, when you think about like the, the people that live their lives based on, on principles, those, yes. those, those people are successful wherever they, they are approaching. I mean, you could even look at like someone like Elon Musk and you could, you could, you could see some of the principles and he's talked about some of the principles he lives by. And that's why he's so dang successful is because those mm -hmm. things they, they they span the the universe exactly exactly and and when i went on this search i said there has got to be a principle that says how this stuff actually works like i don't i don't think randomness is a principle that i can rely on here what is really going on and i did you know and, and the swiss army knife is the term i use for it like yes yeah biology really does have a set of principles that it uses and they're 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 ingenious they're cooperative they're collaborative and um so it, you know so if you, you always felt like this whole evolution conversation didn't quite jive with your common sense try this out i, th I think you'll really love it Okay. Well, well, thank you, Perry. Um, I know we got to wrap up here. I want, I wanted to ask you one more question that I've, I've been dying to ask you from this, from this interview. Uh, if, if you don't mind, give me a, a couple more minutes here. Sure. 
it, it is and it's related to the kind of the the, the mindset i think that that people have i, I just want to get your take on this and and understand and just why, why you think that we we do this and what's influenced us from the from the academic standpoint but i'm going to pick on one particular thing here which i've always had a problem with i know a lot of people don't don't like my viewpoint on this which is uh dark matter and dark energy huh. uh, I, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of a ridiculous explanation that we've come up with for not being able to do, for for a theory that we have about how the universe w supposed to work and yeah. we can't detect anything so we must say that this is undetectable matter now it I, don't get me wrong i dark energy and dark matter could very well be true but i feel like that's mm -hmm. the same you know, th this is the thing, this is where we're at, I feel like academically, and, and I think, and, and I'm, I'm drawing a parallel because I think it's the same thing with the, the evolution standpoint, is it's like, we just accept all of these things that, that for fact, whereas if an alien came and looked at, you know, <laughs> looked at with these these theories we have and, and how we explain them, they wouldn't draw those same conclusions. They'd be like, that's weird. You just kind of made that up because you didn't know what was really happening, you, you know, but but like so many smart people, intelligent people just like hold this uh, with such uh, they, they're so tightly bound to this. Why does this exist like this in the academic community today? Why have we gotten to that point? You know, it's really funny you bring that up, John, because first of all, I, I'm not an expert on that and I'm not really I haven't researched this enough to give you an opinion. I'll, I'll just give you a couple of touch points. Okay. Okay. So, so dark energy and dark matter are mathematical constructs um, that have been put together to make things work. And as an electrical engineer, electrical engineering is very mathematical. I can appreciate that because like somebody had to come up with imaginary numbers to make that work and it turned out to work right it's like well imaginary numbers are actually real <laughs> you know <laughs> um okay and so they could be right okay um on the other hand you know i was just listening to an interview with john hands who wrote a book it came up about the same time mine did. It was called Cosmo Sapiens. And John and I did not have any contact with each other whatsoever. We were completely independently. Um, and if, if you like this kind of stuff, if you like these kind of questions, you should like go to Amazon and buy Cosmo Sapiens like now. You'll love it. Okay. Um, John, John, like this is a 700 page book that tackles everything. <laughs> okay. All In right. fact, he's got three or four chapters on Darwinian evolution and he comes to the exact same conclusion I did. Wow. Okay. okay? I'm it, interested. And you should interview him, John. Okay. Cause he's brilliant. He's from the UK. He's a British guy, very scholarly. Oh my goodness. Like what, what a piece of scholarship this book is. Now what he does in his book is he, He's like all these really big questions. He like puts them on the anvil and he starts hammering them. He's like, yeah. what is going on here? What is this all about? What about consciousness? Where did matter come from? Where did humans come from? You know, where's this all going? And, and what he says, so he gets into biology and he gets all these snarky college professors like, how dare you question? Okay. 
and and again he eventually comes to very similar conclusions as me it's really spooky how similar yeah the paths are okay so you can and again knowing that we never talk to each other i i think i think you'll love to see that well then he gets into cosmology and what he figures out is that none of this stuff is nearly as solid or nailed down as everybody thinks it is and he raises the exact same question he's like well you haven't touched the dark matter and you haven't seen the dark matter and you haven't put it on a scale and it's really actually just a mathematical construct and so it's like you know it's like he lifts the skirt of modern science and he finds cellulite and varicose veins and like <laughs> all of this stuff right and 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 wait and and as you look at the whole thing you start to figure out you know what you really have to be very careful not to confuse what a scientist tells you with fact. Right. And in fact, think about it, John, true or false. If we look at the last 500 years, true or false, 90% of scientific theories have ended up being wrong. True oh, or false? True. We've, we we constantly revise models. I mean, ask ask a, an elementary student what to draw an atom for you, and what are they going to draw? They're going to draw the the little you know the the dot with yeah. the circles. That's not even that's not even the correct model anymore, right? And that and right. We, all the models are flawed. We we constantly revise models, and that's what that's right. all that science is is, is models. And but but CNN has to give you. I pick on CNN, but you know, textbooks, whatever, they have to give you a soundbite. They have to give you a condensed, the layman version, and they just, they they paired it as fact. They, they say as a matter of, in a matter of fact way, the earth is five billion years old or whatever. They, not, not we, we, they used to say, I mean, 10 years ago, it used to say, we think, or uh, 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 by best estimates, or, but now it's like all of these things, they're just, they're just being fed to people as if this is absolutely fact. We know this is true. You can, this is the foundation and we need to build on top of this. And so people stop questioning this stuff. Yes. And, and so what I would say to people is you need to be really careful not to let things that you think are facts become dogmas that you blindly defend when you yourself don't actually know how many problems there are. Right. Okay. You have to be, you know, popular level books you have to take with a grain of salt, okay? And questions are always more valuable than answers. Yes. Okay? And the, look, the real art of life is learning to ask questions and go hunting for answers and ask better and better questions so that you get better and better answers. And I think in your life, if you ask the right questions... It's always, it's kind of like the scientific method. It's always eventually going to lead you in the right direction. You know, the scientific method is really reliable. Okay. Right. The method exactly. works, but don't confuse the method with the conclusions that they happen to have right now. You got to remember scientists are people and they have careers, they have egos. They have grants, they have departments, they have overhead, they have bureaucracy, you know? And so 
they're they're not it's not like scientists are some you know elite tribe of illuminati who like right. know more than the rest of us okay and the the really good ones are humble yeah and the better the better a scientist is the more readily they will tell you, I don't know, we don't know, I don't know, we don't know. If you think science is a place where you're going to scratch your itch and your desire to get perfect, exact answers, you are sooner or later going to be very, very disappointed. And it yeah. might not be today, but it'll be someday. You just please be very careful. Meanwhile, I love science. I, you know, um, I, I'm sure there's problems with uh, some of the electrical engineering models that I've grown up with, but I know I can build an amplifier and it works like well. So that's a that's a certain amount of certainty. And right. you know, in in any evolutionary theory, I ought to give you stuff that works. And and that was my criteria. It was like I'm going to put on my engineering hat and I'm going to see where it goes. And man, was it ever fascinating. And those models work for the time, like you said, like with the yeah. ele electrical engineering one, that's not even a perfect model, even though it works. Right, I mean, right. a lot of people argue to me, they say, well, we, we landed a, a probe on Mars, like we like with a parachute and all that. I'm like, yeah, but when we try and land it, when we try to land a, a, a micro machine on an ant on Mars or you know, a dust particle, a specific rock on Mars, we're going to need a different model. That model works really, really good. But, you know, if you went to the subatomic level and tried to do something like that, yeah. we, we have no idea how to do it because that model is not truth. People confuse truth with models. And it's just, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I'm really glad that you that you said about about the, when you talk to real scientists, they say, I don't know a lot because. Yes, they do. Yes, I feel like they do arrogant species that we we feel like we have to know all the answers and we don't we, and it's okay to not know and and the, the smartest people realize that i, I, I yeah. think so celebrate the inquiry and and go on the adventure and you know be content with you know can you embrace mystery can you actually learn to love the mystery can you actually live in the middle of mystery and like you know what what if you what if you run into questions that that you you bang away at for 25 years before you ever get an answer is that okay i sure right. hope so your life will be a lot more fun if yeah. you're okay with that yeah yeah you don't have to have an opinion on every single possible thing <laughs> you know you people can get three free chapters of evolution 2.0 at cosmicfingerprints.com and the book's for sale on Amazon. And I, I just really want to encourage you, you know, don't take my word for anything, but ignore no verifiable facts. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Perry. I really appreciate it. This has been super fun uh, for, for those of you. Like I said, Perry's been been someone who has uh, who I felt has been a mentor. I've read a lot of his books, not just, you know, not just the Evolution 2.0. Uh, definitely check it out. I'll put a link here. There'll be links to everything that's mentioned here, uh, as well as check out if you're interested in marketing. I know some of your entrepreneurs and, you know, he is like the uh, the, the the source, <laughs> really. He, to, he applies the same kind of engineering rigor and to to the the field of marketing and some of you if you wonder like why why does my sales page look like it does or the opt-ins and all that stuff a lot of this comes from from his uh, you know perry has helped me to build a build a business out of simple programmer that actually makes money <laughs> so Good. thank you congratulations that, perry. that's great well thanks for having me on your show it's been really fun and 
you know, if, uh, if, if, you know, some other shows I should be on, uh, shoot me an email or put me in touch with some people. And I, I just want to encourage everybody listening, be curious and embrace the mystery. All right. Take care. Thank you, Perry. Take care. Hey, what's up? John here. Just wanted to make sure you aren't missing out. Only about half the content I put out is on this podcast. This podcast is created mostly from the audio from the YouTube videos I put out daily. When you get a chance, head on over to youtube.com forward slash simple programmer and click the subscribe button to get access to two to three new videos every day. Even if you prefer the audio format, make sure you subscribe at youtube.com forward slash simple programmer so you can check out what you might be missing.